All right, here we go. Welcome to another episode of the Non-Victim Nation podcast with myself, Rico Negrete, and my son, Hunter Negrete. Yeah. And <laughs> it is a beautiful day here in Arizona. We are sitting this morning with our cups of Black Rifle coffee and uh, having a good time getting ready to have this conversation. <clears throat> yeah. I'm going to apologize if my voice sounds a little messed up. A uh, good friend of mine that I work with uh, had his very first professional boxing match last night. And so, you know, had to be there to shout out the encouragement. Uh, and, in case anybody's wondering, he did win. Uh, my my coworker Javier Flores, uh, won, like I said, his very first match. It was really exciting. He did an outstanding job, and I'm very proud of him. But, uh, anyway... Uh, so today we are talking about a concept that is not new by any means. In fact, uh, the kind of the premise for this idea came from the story of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And, if, you know, this is a pretty well-known story. Uh, I think it was kind of interesting that this was actually published in January of 1886. And... I don't know why, but for some reason, thinking back that far, you know, thinking to that time, the idea that they understood the, the duality of nature and, and, you know, how you have like a darker versus a lighter side of our personalities or, or ourselves um, seemed a little surprising, but at the same time, not really, because it's it's easy to recognize if you stop thinking about it. Um the, the thing that I kind of wanted to point out about this, though, unlike the story where the, the dark side really is an evil manifestation of that person, I think that the there is what we would consider, I guess, our, our dark sides, um, but that's not actually true, because in order for that to, in order for it to be truly called a dark side means that it is, in essence, an evil thing, um, and Again, that's not the case. Being capable of doing something uh, that's necessary is not the same thing as being evil, right? So, and in this case, what we're talking about as being necessary is the ability to do violence, right? There are situations that arise for any number of reasons where a person is called into action to do something to defend themselves, to defend other people, you know, and the only way that they accomplish that is if they're capable of a, of they're they're capable of committing violence. I guess is the easiest way to say it. How would you say that? Yeah, like they're they're in a situation that calls for the defending themselves or somebody else, and the only way they can do that is if they actually are capable of defending themselves or somebody else mm-hmm. of being violent. So I'll give you kind of a different example of this. And uh, this is what I think is probably the easiest example for people to understand, and that is dogs, right? You can have a dog that is the the dumbest, slobberest, you know, most lovable animal you've ever seen, you know, and in a matter of seconds can go to just absolute raging, you know, want to rip your throat out to defend you, your family, or whatever that dog thinks is important, right? The shift between the two things is not good versus evil. It's just that in some cases, that's what the dog is trained to do. And a lot of cases, it's just the nature of that dog 
you know, it, the way that it works it, to protect itself, to protect its pack, right? It's capable of being violent in a, in a situation that calls for it, but completely under control at any other given time when it's not necessary, right? So we as people need to adopt that same mentality of understanding that if a situation arises where you need to, like, defend yourself from harm, from, you know, any number of things, right? You need to be capable of that. If you are not capable of violence, then you are 100% a victim to anybody else who is. So this is something that uh, has been talked a lot about lately, especially with the, the large number of attacks on masculinity. And again, I really want to emphasize the idea that this whole idea of being capable of violence isn't exclusionary to men, right? This is not a patriarchy thing. This is not a, you know, a gender role or something like that. This is just a normal thing that if a situation arises where you need to be capable of this to defend yourself, it you need to actually be able to put this into, into action. Uh, another example of that, so... What's the the number one animal you do not want to come between it and its cubs? Bear. What kind of bear? Mama bear. A mama <laughs> bear. That's exactly right. So again, this is not a male centric idea. You know, everybody in the world knows that the most dangerous animal in on the planet is a mother bear that's defending its cubs, right? And again, a bear on its own isn't necessarily just going to come go out of its way to attack people although that does happen right but it's pretty much a guarantee that if you get between a mother and and her cubs she is going to eat you right and there's just no two ways about that yeah the the, the margin for error with the mama bear is a lot a lot shorter than with uh well, any other bear right so Again, this is sort of an idea that I think is really important that most people don't either don't think about or they just don't understand. So there's a lot of people that would not necessarily consider themselves pacifists, but they also don't think of themselves as warriors. They're not, you know, engaging in martial arts. They're not going out looking for fights. They're not, you know, even willing to kind of like stand up for themselves, you know, when a situation calls for it, you know, when somebody is... Not necessarily threatening them with violence, but just being, you know, derogatory or wanting to, you know, bully this person, right? So, I don't want to keep saying the same thing over and over again, but I'm trying to think of a different way to explain it. Well, I know that, like, for me, uh, I'm I'm a pretty laid-back, easygoing non-confrontational person right uh, but at the same time like nothing is going to flip that switch faster for me than being in a situation where I'm defending somebody and especially somebody that I that I actually care about and at that point I will absolutely commit fucking violence to, to solve that problem mm-hmm. it is my own opinion that everybody should be pursuing some form of martial art Mm-hmm. And that could be kind of traditional karate, taekwondo, those sorts of things. Uh, it could be boxing, which I think is, you know, kind of in light of last night's event, you know, a good 
definitely a good means of defending yourself and being able to like uh, fight back against somebody who wants to attack you physically. Uh, and then there's, you know, things like jujitsu, which in my opinion is still the best form of martial art that you can learn because it allows you to control another person and force that person to submit without actually doing real lasting harm to them. Uh, you know, but in any case, the, the point is, is that being, you know, pursuing that ability and knowing how to use it and when to use it is really important. So, um, we just recently attended a, uh, a use of force class that was hosted by Guardian Training and Consulting. Uh, the instructor's name is Josh Logan, who is the owner of the company. And, along with his wife, Karen. And it was a really impressive class because of how it's set up and also because of the results that it gets. So Hunter is actually going to explain more about that part. So it's all simulated, right? Um, you you go into the training area and uh, there's, a, there's a whole projector set up. And you're standing in your in your fixed location, so you're not like, you know, shooting and moving and communicating and all that. You're just you're just kind of you're you're standing in your spot, and the the projector will show, uh, a video of some situation, right? So like Josh will say, hey, your situation is, um, you know, you're you're at the at the bank, like getting money out of an ATM. And that's it. And then the the thing starts and. Uh, you're presented with a situation and based on your responses, whether it's to pull your gun, not pull your gun, the, the, um, like whatever you're saying to the other person, um, which can escalate or deescalate the situation. Yeah. Yeah. So like not only what you're saying, but how you're saying it, um, that'll change the scenario, um, and not like magically, it's being controlled, right, by Josh. Uh, and it's, you know, it, it's very interesting to see how people process these situations that they're in and then respond to them. Because, um, like, one of the cool things about the, about the simulation is that you know on a logical level that you're just looking at a projector and a screen and a and a, a fucking pre-recorded video but somehow when you're actually doing it like you you are talking to this screen uh, that that makes it feel very real and you get a lot of that that uh, stress acclimation uh, so part of the simulation is that uh, they will put a pulse on yeah, pulsometer. Is yeah, that pulse oximeter. I yeah, think? that's it. The little thing that they put on your finger to take your pulse. Mm-hmm. So they get a reading of like what your heart rate looks like before the, the simulation, and then again right after. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty drastic. The the the, the elevation in, in heart rate is similar to what somebody experiences right after they've been in a car accident. So despite the fact that it really is just a screen, you know, our psychological it's, it's like any sort of uh, virtual reality our minds tell us that the danger is real, even if even it's not. Yeah. 
it's kind of like how you know if somebody's playing in in vr and uh you know they're they're falling off of a fucking building or a cliff or something and they actually like freak out and think they're falling but they're not they're just in their living room yeah <laughs> i've had that same uh the same experience playing games or watching things on on a screen where there's somebody goes up like falls off of a cliff or goes over like uh dropping from like a really high distance and you have that sort of sinking feeling in your stomach even though i'm sitting perfectly safe nice and comfortable here in my on my sofa and i'm watching this you know there's zero chance that that's going to impact me at all and yet it's still a psychological response that happens so the you know when you're doing these sort of simulators the it can feel very real and the response can be very real right mm-hmm. so oh you continue yeah right? i was just gonna say like i've seen uh some of the people you know respond very well they'll they'll uh they'll issue good commands at you know proper volumes and tones uh they'll pull their gun at the right time or not uh, and yeah the situation can go favorably and other people they just lock up they freeze they don't know what to do and that that can result in them in in like in the simulation getting killed or hurt or somebody else for that matter yeah the uh Again, the, the simulation can be modulated by the controller, who in this case is Josh. Uh, so if, let's say, somebody is coming at you in this, in this on the screen in a very aggressive manner, either with or without a weapon, right? And you're telling this person to stop or to stay back or wh- whatever the verbal command is you're giving them. If you're not giving it to them in a forceful enough way that that person would truly respond to, then Josh, as the controller, is going to let that person just keep coming at you. Because you're not really stopping that person. You're not convincing that person that you intend to do something about it or something there's going to be some sort of consequence to them not stopping, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, this you, in the situation, you may have a gun drawn, you may not. Uh, but whatever that is, you, you have to present yourself in a manner that lets the other person know that you are serious and that you're not just talking. Right. So it's the difference between, you know, saying there there are people that are very soft spoken and, and then when they talk, they they seem very timid. Right. So if you have that sort of person who's telling somebody who's six foot four and looks like the rock who's coming at them with a crowbar in his, in his hand, the likelihood that that person, that individual is going to stop based on this little timid person telling them to is really unlikely. Right. But at the same time, if you have somebody who is much more forceful in their commands, and it has nothing to do with how big or small that person is, it's about their presence and how they they vocalize you know, or, or convey the message they're trying to get across. This is something that uh, I was always a fairly assertive person because I had done... Uh, security work for bars, nightclubs, events, you know, like concerts and that sort of thing. So I had had experience with, you know, mm-hmm. letting people know that you can't be in an area. You need to stop whatever behavior they were doing if they were not allowed to be doing that, that sort of thing, right? 
And I thought I had a pretty good handle on that until I started working for the Department of Corrections. And there, it's a whole other thing. <clears throat> because now you're surrounded by people who, given, you know, very little incentive, uh, may try to cause you physical harm. And you need to carry yourself in a manner that lets them know that you are not an easy target. It's not okay for you to... Excuse me. You're excused. <laughs> it's not okay for them to just disregard you and ignore your commands, you know, or your directives. So there's there's a lot of this when you have developed enough of that ability to to do violence if it becomes absolutely necessary. It, there's a secondary part of this that it that most people don't understand also, and that is when you know that you are capable of it, you have more self-confidence than somebody who doesn't, right? So somebody who's never been in a fight in their entire lives and is completely untrained, has no idea what to do, right? When being confronted by somebody who wants to physically harm them, you know, is very unlikely to let, you know, to present themselves as a true opponent or somebody that is capable of fighting back, right? Whereas somebody who is a trained fighter, and I'll use my, my friend again, uh, Flores, you know, he is a trained boxer. Not only that, but he helps train other people. So he carries himself with a different uh, manner than, than other people. So because he is trained and because he does know how to fight and because he is not afraid of being in a confrontation, because he, he allows himself to be in those situations on a semi-regular basis in a controlled environment, mind you, but still, you know, you have to be able to, to deal with those things. Somebody who is a is really excellent at jujitsu knows that they can tie somebody up pretty quickly and not you know have to take any damage. Uh, the way that they carry themselves and the way that they present themselves, just in general, is so much more. Uh, I don't want to say powerful, but it's. If you were, if you're thinking of this from the perspective of uh, a criminal or somebody who wants to do harm to another person, they're going to be looking for something that is an easy target, right? The more well-trained you are, the more experience you have, the more you carry yourself and you become less of that easy target. Even on a subconscious level, just the way that you, you move, it lets people know that you are capable of violence and that you could be dangerous and therefore they're much like less likely to want to mess with you so i feel like we got a little derailed from the the simulator there but uh so you were saying that the uh person has to give directives they have to mm -hmm. make decisions yeah yeah um just then i started thinking about um how because of how real the simulator can feel like it's it's very good at simulating those feelings right um it it definitely i think it definitely causes 
so like the the, the idea of like you you fail to your lowest point of training i think it is I think that's how they go, yeah yeah um so like for somebody that that doesn't have any training they've never experienced anything like this before um they're like kind of falling back to that that sort of instinctual level uh, they're going to respond a lot differently than somebody who has gotten these reps in and dealt with with things like this uh, it's, it's just going to it's going to go very differently mm-hmm. so we've sat through a number of these classes and, and watched both men and women kind of go through the different scenarios and <laughs> what's that? I was just thinking um, there, there's one female that, that we watched um, she I want to say she was a, a psychiatrist or kind of something in that realm um, and it was funny because I mean dealing with uh, mental health she she is seen some well crazy people uh, and so she she's she was able to handle the stress of it um, it was her responses that I thought were were kind of lacking um, because she's used to, to talking with disgruntled patients in a very like calming soothing manner but I feel like that that doesn't quite work the same on somebody that's uh, approaching you with a fucking baseball bat because <laughs> like, you, you slammed on your brakes in front of them and they rear-ended you um, yeah, yeah so, so, so like like that that was that was her that was her level of training that she reverted back to uh, and it does that, that was interesting to see because it's like it, it's an example of there there was training there to fall back on it just wasn't necessarily the best type of training for the situation right and I'm going to tell everybody this I'm sure most of you know it already but if somebody is really wound up and at the point of of wanting to commit violence telling them to calm down is the absolute last thing you should be saying to that person because they're not going to calm down purely because you told them to a and b you need to like uh, approach that from a completely different standpoint if it doesn't work on your wife it's not going to work on a threat (laughs) (laughs) right so um yeah and I won't go too far down that rabbit hole because that's a whole psychological <laughs> thing of you know being able to uh, de-escalate situations and things like that. But uh, so what were you saying other than or was that it? Yeah, that was it. Uh, okay. But uh, yeah, on the whole calm down thing, it makes me think of uh, the guy that we observed in the last class that we went to. Right. So, uh, well, we'll get into that in a sec. So, again, kind of like watching different people go through these scenarios. Um, they will react differently based on their own experiences, their own level of training, and those sorts of things. Some people are pretty good at it. Some people know how to respond a little bit more appropriately than others. Uh, but that's why this sort of thing is really important, because it it gives you these experiences now in a safe environment versus being caught in that same situation out in real life when there is no safety net there is no you know you're going to push a button and stop the screen that kind of thing 
Um, so I've watched people. So Hunter was kind of alluding to this that there are our own personal biases or uh, I guess morals that sometimes we fight against, right? So we we did watch one individual who uh, you could tell that he's he's not a pacifist by any means. It's not like he won't get into a fight if it, if he's absolutely pushed to it. But unfortunately, that's his demeanor, is that in order for him to react, you have to push to the absolute maximum. So for instance, you know, in one scenario, he was going through, you know, he was being robbed by somebody who had a crowbar. And, you know, he reacted quickly enough and was able to like draw his firearm and shoot that person before that person hit him and, and potentially killed him, right? Yeah, this this person that was advancing on him and like getting like cocked up and ready to swing, right? Um, but it was only in that last kind of second before. I mean, it was a pretty short window of him or me. You know, mm-hmm. he was either going to stop that person or he was going to potentially be killed, right? In another scenario where there is a person standing over, it's a man standing over a woman with a knife who is, uh, according to the scenario, he's a jilted lover who is upset and he wants the, the woman back. And it's essentially, you know, well, if I can't have her, nobody can. So he's threatening her with a knife. The woman is laying on the ground. And this is a very obvious, this, the guy with the knife is not just showing off. He's not just brandishing the knife and, and you know, looking around, he really does intend to harm this woman, if if not kill her outright. So the same individual that we're talking about did draw his weapon, but unfortunately he had it held sort of down and not at the person with the knife. And he was giving the person with the knife directives to A, calm down, hmm. and B, you know, drop the knife, okay? But in telling the person to calm down, he was back, he was basically escalating the situation because the person became more agitated. And his directives to, to drop the knife, he said it multiple times. Obviously, the person wasn't responding to that, so there, there was no need to continue to say that. If I tell you to drop a weapon three times and you're still not dropping it, saying it a fourth time is not going to help. Mm-hmm. Okay. You have anything to add to that? Yeah. So, you know, as the, the scenario progresses, unfortunately, you can tell that this person is struggling with his own moral compass about the idea that he doesn't want to harm somebody, right? So, unfortunately, the, the situation goes to the point of the, the man does actually stab the woman, you know, and that's sort of the end of the scenario. It doesn't make the individual a bad person for not wanting to to shoot the person with a knife, but it does demonstrate something that is, I think, really important for us to understand, right? If you are not capable of violence, if you're not capable of doing those things, right, it is conceivable that there will come a time when either you or somebody that you truly care about is going to be presented with harm and you have to be able to to react appropriately, right? This goes back to what I said earlier. So that if if you're 
not capable of committing that violence when it's absolutely necessary, then essentially you just become a victim for everybody on the planet who is. And you leave yourself with no recourse other than to, you know, at the last minute find that that space in yourself and do something, you know, or you are going to die or somebody else is going to die. And even if they don't die per se, they, you know, they, they may come to the serious injury or, or harm, you know. So the idea that there is that intrinsic part of ourselves, which is a normal, natural part of ourselves. It is not manufactured. It is not something. It's not the toxic masculinity that people claim that it is, right? It's, a, it's recognizing that there is that aspect of ourselves that we have to be capable of. It already exists. It is there. You can see this in almost every animal on the planet. If you take an animal and you push it to the absolute limit for of its fight or flight, it's going to fight. It's very rare that an animal will just cower down and just die. You know, even the smallest, weakest animal in the world will make some sort of attempt to defend itself if it's pushed to the absolute limit. Human beings are no different, right? But it's far better to like have that capacity, understand it, and be able to tap into it when it's necessary and keep it under control when it's not than to never have it in the first place and be completely incapable of it at all. Because that just leaves you vulnerable. So. Again, I think that this use of force simulator class is incredible at demonstrating these things to people and letting them experience these situations in a very controlled manner um, because it teaches them a lot of different things, not just how to respond to the situation, but it also sort of, it points out shortcomings that you have. Uh, somebody who is trained with firearms, you know, it's still easy for that person to make a mistake, to to draw their weapon, you know, in a, in a panic versus in a controlled manner like they would, you know, if they were standing on a flat range. You know, when your heart rate is elevated, your body responds differently. You know, and what you may think that you're doing is not always how it's going to work out. Uh, we always come back to the whole idea that everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Right. So what you think that you could do or would do in a situation, you will never actually know until you're in that situation. So I highly encourage people to to seek out these sorts of things. It doesn't have to be uh, the use of force simulator class that Guardian Training and Consulting offers. But I think that if you live here in Arizona, in the Valley, or the Phoenix area, I should say, um, is an outstanding way to do that. I think that if you live someplace else, then uh, it behooves you to like find things that, that if not quite on that same level that are at least close that to start following uh, whatever sort of training courses that you can to prepare yourself for situations that can and sometimes do arise you know uh, yeah find things that will take you through stress acclimation specifically um, alternatively called stress inoculation uh, but just just things like that where it's it's scenario based 
because that I think is going to give you a much different and much needed component of training that you're not just going to get with your typical marksmanship class. And there are a number of other companies out there that have uh, what they call shoot houses, mm. um, where they again they create scenarios, and it could be individuals or it could be teams that are moving through structures the same way that, uh, like how you imagine a SWAT team or a military unit would work through, where they're going uh, into a building uh, and clearing rooms. So you know they make a very con- a concerted uh, entrance. They clear an area, they make sure that everybody is safe, they move to a new area. You know, if there are threats, they engage those threats. If there are people that are victims that are that are in need of assistance, aid, whatever it is, um, that they, they apply that as necessary, remove those people from the situation if it's necessary. Again, this can teach you a lot of different things in a fairly short period of time and really highlight what, where your weaknesses are and where your strengths are. You know, and show you what you're capable of and teach you how to deal with these situations to really minimize your stress response if and when you ever find yourself in that situation. Yeah, I think the, the shoot house is a, is a good idea because it's another thing where it's, it's very fast decision-making and these decisions can certainly have consequences. And the other thing about um, any of the, the any of these types of courses, at the end of, of whatever scenario it is, there is always going to be a recap of what happened. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, this is a thing that that Josh is excellent at. Yes. So immediately after the scenario ends, he will start asking a person a series of questions, uh, very much the same way that you know somebody in law enforcement, uh, which Josh has an extensive background in, would ask you know after a, a violent encounter you know and <laughs> it's interesting that like he'll say you know if, if the person did discharge their firearm you know how many shots did you fire that's a that's a pretty common thing and and people's answers don't always line up with the reality of what what actually happened because in the stress of that moment you're you're reacting to a situation you're not thinking 100 logically you're just going with whatever's happening at the time right and so what and this is something you see in police videos all the time uh you know a police officer says you know that you know they shot somebody x number of times when they fired their firearm x number of times and it turns out that it was actually two different number (laughs) two to ten times more than that you know um so Again, our perception of things isn't always the reality that that actually happened. And so going through this recap, again, teaches you more about how you responded to the situation, things that you can improve upon, and just give you information that you flat out didn't know, you know. Uh, Somebody in an encounter might be threatened by somebody who who, uh, has a weapon on them but is not necessarily drawn that weapon, Right. And there are laws about what you can and can't do, you know, and most of those are state specific, but, you know, just in general. Uh, and a person in the, that is running through the scenario may or may not draw the weapon because they don't understand where the limitations are. They don't know that, yes, it's perfectly legal for you to draw a firearm if somebody's pointing a firearm at you. 
Okay. Um, and that's just one example. So again, the, the, the recap and the, and the information that follows the situation is almost as important as the, the things that you learn from the scenario itself. So again, the, the, the total value of, of any of these things is incredible. And I highly encourage people to seek these sorts of things out and, you know, learn, learn while you can, while you're safe and while it's, you know, not necessary because the absolute thing you want to do is find yourself in a situation and be 100% unprepared or uneducated about how to deal with it. That's how you become a victim. And that is the absolute thing that we're trying to avoid here. So that's all I got on that one. How about you? Yeah. Don't be a victim. This is the non-victim nation. Be the hero. (laughs) (laughs) Right. All right. Well, uh, again, you know, seek training and do what you need to do. Stay safe. I hope that you all have a fantastic week. And by all means, if you have questions, uh, please email us at info at nonvictimnation.com. Uh, there is also a section on Spotify where you can uh, answer. There's like a little Q&A thing there. So you can always send us questions. We would be more than happy to answer. And we're always looking for feedback as well. So if you have any, please let us know. And in the meantime, take care. Stay safe. Thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Also, you can now support the Non-Victim Nation by donating via listener support directly on Spotify. Remember, the story of your life is being written right now, and you are the hero.